0: the podcast that takes pop culture and extracts history out of it. I'm your host, Jem Daducci, and this time round we'll be talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which means, of course, we'll be talking about ninjas. How could we not do that? But also tax refunds and strange British censorship laws as well. Okay, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's quite a mouthful. And what's interesting is this was created by two guys, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, back in 1984. It was all meant to be a bit of a joke. And between the two of them, through Mirage Comics, they basically had enough money from a tax refund to produce. One episode, one edition of a comic book to feature four mutant turtles that happened to also be ninjas, and bizarrely, just to show you how weird the whole thing was, completely arbitrarily named after some of the Renaissance's greatest artists. None of this made sense. So, of course, it became a huge hit. In reality, Eastman and Laird were creating a, a sort of parody, a, a mocking, or if you like, a a sort of perhaps a fond mic take of you know things like Daredevil and you know let's go back to Frank Miller again, Ronin. You know there were a number of sort of dark crime fighting people happening who happen to know martial arts and martial arts are always cool and everybody agrees ninjas are cool Uh, and all of this was all smashed together into this thing that was a parody it's a joke and yet when you fast forward 30 years it's a massive brand and indeed it didn't take long for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think I'm going to regret picking this topic because I'm going to have to keep saying this ridiculously long phrase and title over and over again. But it didn't take long for them to catch on to the extent that by the late 1980s, just a few years later, and you have to start thinking about how long it takes to make these decisions and then animate it, it became a huge animation hit in the late 1980s, a... a, run that went into the 1990s there were early on as well a number of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies they died a death Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 took them back to feudal Japan and they clearly didn't have the budget for that because it was Rubbish. The second one was also far more family friendly. They had a habit of throwing away their swords and picking up a a load of sausages and using them as weapons instead because. The parody was never meant to be specifically child-friendly. It was more something for teenagers who loved their comic books to sort of get their kicks. But they had to try and make these more family-friendly. And the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie If you go back to it, first of all, it actually holds up pretty well, but secondly, it is very dark. It's far more in the vein of the original 1989 Batman movie than it was the sort of star-spangled awesomeness of the original Superman movie in the late 1970s starring Christopher Reeve. Fast-forwarding 30-odd years, there are now again Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics and obviously a cartoon series, but also there are these new movies produced by Michael Bay. So you're sort of guaranteed Bayhem there. They're not particularly good, but they do make money, showing that there is still an appetite for this gag more than three decades later. But let's break it all down a little bit. So, for starters, I'm going to launch into the rather strange British censorship laws. Because if you were a kid in Britain in the late 1980s, you never saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. No. Ninja was seen as a rather negative word. So they were rebranded Teenage Mutant hero turtles heroes in a half shell turtle power just to finish that line because i had to okay so why hero because heroes are good it's the clues in the name whereas ninjas i mean let's be honest about it fundamentally they're assassins okay they're not great and if you're trying to teach ideas to sort of eight-year-olds Maybe ninjas aren't the best thing to be going for for eight-year-olds. And indeed, there's a sort of similar thing happening now. I'm going to bring in another franchise that uses ninjas, and that's Ninjago, Lego Ninjago. Uh, Just a brief aside on that. So Lego produces its own branded toys, things like Atlantis and City, and a number of them have a sell-by date. I happen to know somebody behind the scenes on this one, and the idea is, you know, we'll be able to create cool underwater toys under the uh, brand of Atlantis, and we'll probably have a life cycle of four or five years. And so... Basically, there are these sets and they'll continue these sets until kids don't buy them anymore. Occasionally they get them wrong and they're a bit of a flop. And other times uh, they go much, much long, but absolutely no argument about it. Their biggest home main brand is Ninjago. Moving on sort of eight, nine years later, it's still going strong. Yes, the movie was a bit of a flop. But it's my kids watch this one, and I find it fascinating when you have lines like, We've got to do this in the ninja way of honor. No, that's the complete opposite of what ninjas were. But they've now been sort of so heavily rebranded that ninja in the world of Ninjago and also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are sort of noble and cool and something to be aspired to and brave. Whereas I absolutely assure you the original ninjas were a people you would never want to meet and B were sneaky. They were trying to kill people. That's not a nice thing. Okay. Anyway, but so I've mentioned The fact that Britain wanted to use the word hero rather than ninja. But the other thing that Britain had rather strange laws on were martial arts weapons. And this had been a problem since the 1970s. There seemed to have been a number of attacks using martial arts weapons, and therefore they were banned in terms of being shown how to use them. So there's the very famous movie Enter the Dragon starring Bruce Lee, where... I mean, he just rips through an entire army in that movie. Uh, uh, Somebody once mentioned it, that it was in the 100 greatest movies of all time. And it's easily the worst made. It is the least professional movie in the 100 greatest movies of all time. But it had to be there because it was one of the first times you had an Asian star being a big deal in a Western movie. And Bruce Lee in his prime... Just try and beat him in terms of martial arts. The, you know, if you check out the real footage of him really practicing and doing the one-inch punch and stuff like that. The man was amazing. He was absolutely in his prime. It obviously didn't hurt box office that he died before this particular movie was launched. But anyway, why do I mention it? Because there's a scene where he just takes on man after man using various different weapons, most notably a, a staff. But he has a scene using nunchucks. Now, nunchucks, if you don't know, is basically... Two pieces of wood linked with a little chain. It's actually from a threshing tool and the mace, the medieval mace, also comes from that type of threshing tool because villagers, if they were attacked, they'd pick up anything they could and wave that thing around, which you'd normally use to sort of beat corn, uh, would uh, in this case be used to smack somebody over the head. But the idea, the the theory behind all this in the British government in the 1970s was... I, I don't know. Maybe they watched too many kung fu movies because they seem to think that these movies or these weapons were almost magical in their power. And, and whereas they weren't banning views of people using knives or guns, suddenly something like a shuriken or a, a nunchuck and, and other various martial arts weapons, you couldn't show those In a movie. So, that scene in the Bruce Lee movie, even though it was rated 18 or X at the time, R nowadays in America, so even though adults could only see it in Britain, you couldn't actually see the nunchuck scene. So, imagine the problem when you have a bunch of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and they're using martial arts weapons. So, some of that was actually edited out. It's the same thing with the Thundercats because Panthra, I'm really showing my age here. Panthra, he had nunchucks. And again, this was something that they had to edit out or cut down or sometimes uh, animate over. So weirdly, there were bits of various American Saturday morning type cartoons that were too dangerous for British TV back in the 1980s, and the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles were an example of that. So, I just want to point out a little personal experience I've had with a pair of nunchucks. Not that I've ever tried to wield them myself, but a guy called Andrew, back in my school days, he was a real tear away this guy. And I'm certainly not going to tell you his surname. But he brought a pair of nunchucks to school, and there was... One break time, for some reason, teachers weren't around and for some reason we were in the uh, school room and he got out the nunchucks and he started flailing them around. Now, you know, a piece of solid wood that's attached to a chain If that clips you around the head, you're going to get concussion. I would argue that, you know, if you know what you're doing, you could easily crack skulls with that thing. This was an incredibly stupid, dangerous thing to do. And therefore, it will not surprise you that I went to a boys school because that's what teenage boys do. Do, okay, But I still remember, decades later, him waving these things around, somebody picking up a chair to protect themselves, and he was trying to show off the power of them, and obviously what a cool ninja he was, having seen a bunch of martial arts movies, in his mind that... That meant that he was now, of course, a ninja and martial arts expert. And him smacking the back of this plastic chair, this sort of robust, shockproof chair, and the noise it made. It didn't actually break the chair, but the noise it made made all of us pause for a moment and think, this thing is not a toy. It's clearly a lethal weapon. But the other thing that he did whilst waving it around is, of course... Unless you know what you're doing, a piece of wood on the end of a chain could fly in any direction, and he managed to flip it back and crack his thumb. His thumb was between the two pieces of metal. He was gripping onto the first piece of metal. The other piece of metal flipped uh, – why the other piece of wood, I should say, flipped back, clipped him on the thumb, and he spent most of the time rolling around the floor, clutching his hand in agony, uh, cursing an awful lot. Because you have to know what you're doing with these things. I would argue that if you're going to ban imagery of something, banning imagery of a knife is more useful because it's pretty obvious how to use a knife. But some of these rather complicated martial arts weapons, well, as Andrew demonstrated, they are far more harmful to the user if you're an idiot who doesn't know what to do than actually to anybody you're trying to attack. Also, how many bar fights have you ever seen descending into a nunchuck battle? That's just not a... anyway but this brings me on to the occupation of the teenage mutant ninja turtles which of course is being a ninja which interestingly has two two different names there's ninja or there's shinobi which shinobi means basically to sneak up and as soon as i say ninja i know in your mind you have an, an image you have this black clad individual probably scaling up a wall and actually it was the 19th century where ninjas were given this kind of almost semi-mythical image but when you look at the actual contemporaries of the ninja era it's far less glamorous and really What you've got to look at is Feudal Japan and the setup of Feudal Japan and briefly a little bit about its history. Because do you know what? Weirdly, there is one thing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles got right. None of them wear black. And actually, the original ninjas didn't either. And in reality, it would be an incredibly rare period that they would ever don an entire load of garb to go in and carry out an assassination situation. The reality is we're talking about assassins, hitmen. And if you're walking down the street in completely black garb with your face half covered in a mask, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, people know you're a ninja and now you're going to be attacked and killed. So that's not going to work. Ninjas actually were masters of disguise. And there are a number of books written by ninjas. Uh, particularly in the 17th and 18th century. So we're now into the Tokugawa shogunate where there was far less war in Japan. And what's interesting is they actually seem to have spent most of their time dressed up as tradesmen or even vagrants. You see, this is the classic example of hiding in plain sight. If you see a beggar on the streets, the great thing is that beggar can sit there and assess the situation for quite a long time. Nobody's really going to move them on, and if they do, it's to get the beggar out of the area, not because they're suspected of anything. But that man can sit there and see when do the guards change at the front gates how many men are marching in and out of that castle etc etc so actually it's quite a clever thing to do and likewise being an itinerant tradesman then you're not going to be surprised them walking around with a big pile of kit and obviously perhaps tucked in the very bottom of their boxes they might have actual weapons but they could always say oh well you know if you want to buy my samurai sword my katana you're more than welcome to do so so and it allowed them to travel around undetected and even perhaps if they were if they had a good hustle on, they might even be able to get past the guards in the castle front and into the inner workings of these aristocratic bases and again, check things out. Ninjas were such a problem in the feudal era and i love this fact that there was a little bit of an arms race now i'm probably going to do a much bigger podcast about castles later on it's worth mentioning that castles were big in europe but also japan as well and the difference between a castle and a fort is a castle not only millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/slash host. Had a militaristic point to it. It not only was a form of defense, a form of fortification, but principally it was somebody's home. Somebody actually lived there. A lord lived there, and it was like the epicenter of their lands, as opposed to a fort which only had a military reasoning. And you'd have a garrison there, and quite often forts would have rotations of garrisons, and sometimes forts weren't even permanent. But a castle was that a stately home, if you like, of an aristocrat. And there was evolution of castle design as attacks got better, various forms of architecture were introduced to reduce the attacks, and then the attacks improved in different ways, which led to other things. So whenever you go to a castle, it was very rare... That what you've seen now was what was originally built. Usually layer upon layer of extra forms of defense were added to castles to try and stop people breaking in. Simple as that, really. But there was a wonderful piece of technology, unique to Japan, you certainly won't see this in Europe, of something called a nightingale floor. Or nightingale floorboards, because it was well known that these ninjas might be creeping around and potentially trying to get you or your family. So what it was was a deliberately squeaky floor, and there is actually a mechanism underneath it. Basically, a metal nail next to a metal plate, and the floor itself was deliberately built to wobble. You know, it was almost of. A, pivoting from side to side so as you walked along this floor it made that nail scrape against the metal plate which obviously was annoying 364 days a year but that one day that the ninja tried to sneak in and get towards your bed chambers well i don't care how how good you are on your feet how softly and quietly you can move around you will trigger that and then the guards come and they get you you see the thing is ninjas weren't mystical we now kind of think of them as almost sort of semi-mythic almost legendary they weren't something like teenage mutant ninja turtles doesn't help this case or argument but they were real guys And I remember that they're reading a little extract from one of these genuine ninjas in the feudal era, saying that it amused him how people thought that he could turn invisible, going, well, that's ridiculous. And it brings me on to something that's, again, been changed over the years. The ninja throwing star, the Shiryuken, uh, I'm probably pronouncing that slightly wrong, apologies. But the ninja throwing star nowadays... Um, Again, in Britain, banned. Sorry about that, guys. If you are ever caught with a ninja throwing star, that's not allowed. Um, But if you go, of course, to France, Germany, or indeed America, you will find uh, places which can sell these beautifully handcrafted, solid steel throwing stars. They come in all kinds of shapes and relative sizes. But these things cost a lot and you can tell a lot of craftsmanship has been put into them i find it interesting though that there are some states even in america that will ban those but it's legal to have a gun again going back to the idiot andrew with his nunchucks you know clearly a ninja throwing star you're going to have to have a lot of skill to use you have to have a lot less skill to pull the trigger of a gun the amount of deaths in america every year i look this has got nothing to do with the Second Amendment. If Americans start having a go at me, I'm not saying the Second Amendment is either a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not a Brit trying to say you should. we should take away all your guns. But here's a simple fact. Just look at how many people in America have died through guns Last year, and then look at how many have died through martial arts weapons. You know, the simple fact is, more people will have died from guns. Guns are better than any kind of sword or bow and arrow or throwing star. There's a reason why we've spent so much time evolving guns into the incredibly effective tools of killing. They are now uh, they they are the, and exist today. Again, this is not a political statement. It's a statement of fact. Gun. If I was going into battle. I would much rather have an assault rifle than a bunch of throwing stars and a sword. Okay, so let's all put that to one side. But the interesting thing is that when you look at the real ninjas in the real time frames, they didn't think that these throwing stars were anything particularly worthy of mention. In fact, what they tended to do is sharpen coins interestingly that is something that west ham fans did in the 1980s but anyway they um Because you're going to throw it away, you don't want to be spending half of your hit money on really cool throwing stars. So you basically did something that could do the job. A piece of sharp metal, doesn't matter where it's from, could do the job. Because you're not going to get it back if you're going to chuck it in the middle of the night. Or if you chuck it, and as soon as you chuck it, the person shrieks out, then you're going to have to run away, aren't you? So, But what was interesting is when I read this little article, this chronicle, I should say, by a genuine ninja... He said that what amused him was when he threw them and sometimes missed or sometimes did them from deliberate distraction and he might clip someone's cheek. The report back was an invisible ninja had attacked him with a sword and it was clearly no such thing. There are also these kind of tiger claw type weapons, these these sort of metal hooks that are on the palm of the hand. And again, sort of people think, oh, wow, these these were used as weapons, kind of slice people open in hand to hand combat. And yes, in theory, you could use them for that. But that was not their primary reason how are you meant to get up a wall okay they were actually used as a climbing tool what you would might use now is like an, an ice pick to sort of ha- hack your way up a glacier or something like that and of course yes they had ropes with hooks on the end because they had to get over walls these weren't necessarily used as weapons in you know if you really were caught and you're sort of surrounded you're going to use anything on you as a weapon but these were not specifically ninja tools What's interesting, though, is I'm talking about all this stuff like it was in the past. And, and to be clear, Japanese history can be summarized in three basic phases, if you like, before 1600. Yes, there was a feudal era, and obviously there is a prehistory to to Japan, but in the feudal era era in Japan, it was basically civil war after civil war. Whoever got an advantage, maybe a generation later, war broke out again. It's very rare to get a generation in Japanese society from, say, 1100 to 1600 uh, completely peaceful. There was always some kind of fighting going on. This is why you have samurai. Now, samurai also evolved over the generations, but it's unsurprising that there was a side trade in something far less honorable. Um, So that's where ninjas were earning their money. Then why does Gem sort of say, well, you know, 1600's where it stopped? Because 1600 was the Battle of Sekigahara, which in Japan is a little bit like what the Battle of Hastings was in Britain. You can absolutely draw a line in English society between pre-1066 and post-1066. It's very rare that a one battle causes such change to a society, but that's what happened in Britain in 1066. In Japan, it was the same kind of thing. It didn't involve any foreign invasion or intervention. But in 1600, Iesu Tokugawa, who was a pretender to the powers of Japan. I'm not going to say to the throne. It gets a little bit more complicated than that. There was always an emperor. But by now, they were very much a spiritual leader, sidelined. So you have Iesu Tokugawa winning the Battle of Sekigahara and once and for all ending civil war. And actually, to do this, he had to kill a nine-year-old from the opposing family. And it leads to a big moral question. Murdering a child is never right. But if murdering that child leads to 250 years of peace in your country, when you've never known a generation of peace in your country, is it worth the sacrifice? I'm not saying one way or the other, but you might want to ponder that one anyway. The point is, Iesu Tokugawa sets up what is known as the Tokugawa shogunate, he called himself shogun and the shoguns ruled Japan and they were all part of his family Tokugawa family from basically 1600 to the Meiji Restoration which happened in the mid 19th century and this was quite different this is when actually the emperors were given real power again Japan opens itself up to the west again under Tokugawa shogunate that's when they closed off from the rest of the world and there was persecutions and eradications of anything that was considered and non-japanese such as christianity but the point is ninjas in those in that era business wasn't quite so good there was look there's always going to be people wanting power but there was simply less civil unrest and therefore less use of ninjas once we get to the meiji restoration ninjas by then were kind of old fashioned they did actually still exist but By now, you know, the legends were more important than the actual ninjas themselves. And there are examples of people who were trained as ninjas fighting in battles. You know, for example, uh, at the Battle of Sekigahara, there seems to have been ninjas there. But of course, they weren't using their stealth skills anything like as much, but they were warriors as well. They knew how to fight. But I'm saying all this stuff like it's all in the past, but it isn't there is still a ninja master out there, alive, today. You could go and see him. You could get on a plane and just head off and see him now. Or indeed, you could go onto the internet and have a look at some of the interviews they've done with him. His name, and I apologize uh, as I do my best with this, is Jinichi Kawakami. And he says that he is going to be the last ninja master. He's not going to teach all the tips and tricks of being a pure assassin to anybody else. It's going to end with him. And I find it kind of sweet going, business isn't very good. (laughs) But surely that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's bad for you, but if there's less need for assassins, that's probably telling you there's something right going on in your civilization. But anyway, the reason why I, I mention him is, you know, he brings to the fore some of the genuine skills that were taught by him. And it goes back you know, farther, further and further back. So he knows how to mix up poisonous bruise. You know, poison isn't something that tends to be mentioned about ninjas. And this is the thing. They were in their prime, as it were, hated by civilization as a whole. If the samurai, and maybe at some other point I'm going to do a podcast about what's, what were the real samurai versus what's the Western image of samurai, that's a complicated subject in and of itself. But the point here is the samurai did have a code of honor, Bushido, and they were loyal to their lord. So there was rules, and the ninjas deliberately broke all those. So these were two parts of the same society that absolutely loathed each other because they were, they were the complete polar opposites of each other. You know, Basically, the ninjas were going to have to get through the samurai to get to their target, and the samurai were certainly going to show no mercy to a ninja if he was caught. But the point is that the ninjas themselves, yes, they had rules, but quite frankly, the rule was kill the target by any means necessary. If that means just poisoning their sushi, then then job done. No need for these black cloaks and all this kind of stuff. It does seem that occasionally they did creep in at night time and they did cover themselves in in dark material but here's the thing which i find really interesting it was never black black is such an artificial color that actually it's more noticeable than a very dark blue so actually that's what ninjas wore very dark blue none of this of course is in the world of uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles But that's hardly surprising because it was all meant to be a joke in the first place. What it does mean, or what it does show, is how you're never quite sure where your culture or your legends can end up. The biggest consumer of comics in the world is Japan. It's really interesting how in the West... Comics, and understandably so, were seen as kids' things for many, many years, and indeed probably still thought of thought of that to this day. But because in Japan, if you think about their language, they use pictograms, they use characters and symbols rather than an alphabet. And therefore, it was never considered uh, a gross dumbing down of education to have pictures with words. That's all a comic is, ultimately. And therefore, I find it amusing. In Japan, you can find very adult Japanese content. And I'm not just talking about the naughty stuff. You can literally get a summary of the news, business information, stock market, uh, soap operas that are only read by adults. But they're comic books. So it is weird that you would have thought that of all the countries in the world that could have created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, well, maybe they would have got the Teenage Mutant Ninja bit. Turtles is a bit random. But it was actually America which created it rather than Japan. But I'm pretty sure that these ninjas of the 16th century would be... Well, do you know, what? I don't know whether they'd be horrified or a little bit proud, but they'd certainly be confused as to why their job is being seen as child-friendly, and there seems to be a lot of tall green people with shells on their backs doing the work for them. So you're never quite sure what other culture's going to misappropriate a bit of your culture and come up with something which is as wonderfully zany as teenage mutant ninja turtles. So I think I have said that more times than I've ever said before. In in my life. I'm going to do my best to not say it ever again. This has been Neon. I've been Jem. Thank you very much for listening to this particular podcast. Keep listening out. More weird and wonderful bits of pop culture that I... Look, if I can extract it out of this topic, he said, avoiding the title, then I think you can agree I can probably extract some real history out of almost anything. Thanks for listening. Keep listening to Neon to draw, hard to admit that I used to draw, portraiture in a human form, doodle of a two-headed unicorn, it was soothing, moving his arm in a fusion of man-made tools and amused from beyond, even if it went beautifully wrong, it was tangible truth for a youth to refuse to belong, no name nuisance, who's in a bedroom, booze in a brand new cuneiform, barely commune with the whore, Get a whole great and... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.